Thank you, thank you. Philip and Destiny has been taking so good care of us. They are showing us Louisiana. And we have fallen in love with the kitchen of Louisiana. <laughs> Destiny is constantly asking us if we are hungry. That must be something very southern, huh? We've learned. And we've tasted uh, gumbo and yambalai and the turtle soup. And oh, you, you eat all kinds of weird stuff here in Louisiana. Someone came up and told me, you haven't tasted the raccoon yet. I said, you eat raccoon? Oh, we eat more than that, he said. I don't know what he's referring to. But then he said, he said, the trick is the barbecue sauce. You just pour as much as barbecue sauce upon anything and then it's good. Is that true? So we're learning a lot about Louisiana here. I got my whole family with me. We are super, super thankful for, for the Diaz's that have given us such an amazing week. We've seen the swamps. We've seen uh, uh, sugar plantation. We saw the Tabasco factory. Come on, somebody. And, and my, my family is right here. Maria, Alicia, Adam, Alicia's boyfriend, David. Come on, why don't you stand up and just... Yeah. So. Yeah. And what an honor to come in here tonight and teach the leaders on the absolutely center of what Jesus commissioned us to do. Huh? The Great Commission, uh, reaching the lost, uh, helping people to find Jesus. Isn't that the very center of what we ought to do as a church, right? And I've given my life to teach that and live that. And uh, this is the 26th year preaching the gospel. And and uh, I, I, I thought first, okay, where do I, what do I pick? And then when I started, it, it became even more, more um, difficult. I told Philip, I felt like I could teach an entire week for 50 hours on the subject. But what we will do tonight is we're going to zoom in on one particular gospel out of the four and stay right there. When I was taught about Jesus when I came to Teen Challenge as 19 years old. Uh, I fell in love with the Gospel of John because the Gospel of John uh, has all these pictures of Jesus meeting people one-on-one. -on -one. And uh, it's also very clear that you can give Jesus a certain name in every chapter. He is the I Am in John's Gospel. And uh, so we will go to John's Gospel if you have a Bible or if you have a Bible app or however you move nowadays, you know. I don't know, maybe some of you have a microchip in, inside of your eyelid. <laughs> You're so high tech nowadays. So we, we're going to, to John's Gospel and we will read a passage of Scripture from the first chapter. And... Uh, I see. I, I got some some ten points for you tonight, but I, I don't know if if we can if, if if we can do six or seven. I'm I'm fine. Okay. So John's Gospel, chapter one, and, and we read from verse forty-five. It says, "Philip, like Andrew and Peter, I'm all, I'm, I'm in verse forty-four, but Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law.'" And about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, 
Here is a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. How do you know me, Nathanael said. Well, Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, but you will see greater things than that. He, had, he then added, I tell you the truth, you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Amen. My first point that I want to make very, very clear tonight is that when we talk about evangelism and when we talk about winning the lost, uh, we got to focus in on the role of Philip in this text. What was the role of Philip? It was leading people to Jesus, wasn't it? So first of all, before we say anything else, I want to take the pressure off. How many of you think that's good? Huh? We don't live a life of condemnation. We don't live a life where we are better Christians if we win a lot of people and we are less Christians if we don't win people. Are you getting this? So I want to take the pressure off right away and say, what is our task? It is to lead people to Jesus because you can't save anyone. You can't save a single person. Jesus is the one that transforms and makes the signs and the wonders, isn't it? But when we lead people to Jesus, and sometimes we also have to separate ourselves a little bit from the gospel. Some say, no, I don't know, I, I should be the message. The me well, that has often been preached to you as a threat. But you see, the gospel is superior than you. It's bigger than you. The message is bigger than you. And sometimes you, you need to separate yourself a little bit from the gospel too. Because the power is within the gospel, within the Jesus message to set people free and save people. And when we focus in on the cross and the resurrection and the blood and, and the Jesus miracle man, right? He's the miracle man. We actually can get people saved and transformed. Not, not us, but he that does it. Are you with me? So let me just make that very clear uh, before we do anything else. Then we're going to go through the John's, uh, going through John's gospel here. Do you think my English will be okay enough? Will, will you all understand? Okay. So well, let's make a little Bible walking through John's gospel and see how much we can do. If we jump into the second chapter, we will now find the first thing that I call the Jesus way of reaching people. Isn't it funny that we have made up so many ways to reach people with a gospel that is never even written in the gospels. Don't you agree with me? Aren't you, aren't you happy that you can't find anywhere that they stood nervous on the square with tracks? <laughs> Come on, somebody. I mean, you can't find it here, so you can take that off the list, right? Come on, say hallelujah, quick. It doesn't say that they stood nervous inside of a supermarket with the guitars either. Come on, someone. So just take that off the list. But let's find out how they did it and how, how, how Jesus did it and his disciples did it. And we can see very, very clear here in the second chapter of John's gospel that Jesus was filling real needs. So if my first point is Philip's role, your role, Leading people to Jesus. My second point would be filling real needs. Jesus was at the wedding. They were running out of wine. You might not like this story. I didn't like it either. When I came to Jesus and it was a teen challenge, I couldn't understand. 
by the first miracle I read about in John's gospel was Jesus turning water into wine. Because in our lives, and especially in my mama's life, he turned beer into furniture. I've told you that before. So I was very frustrated with this. But except that he was feeling real needs. He was at a wedding. They didn't have wine. And Jesus transformed water into wine. If we just, if we just stay right there. You can see that Jesus was all about filling real needs in the society and where he was. And that's a beautiful thing here. And I want to talk about this tonight when we don't have our extra son, Risa, with us. I want to say how extremely proud I am of my family, of Maria, of Alicia, of Adam. Uh, how you have helped me and how together we have helped to fill a real need in society. What do you mean by that? Well, we took in an extra son one and a half year ago called Reza Ibrahimi. He was a Muslim kid, 15 years old, and refugee from Iran. His parents from Afghanistan, and he came with his prayer mat and his Koran. And, um, and it was a challenge. But we helped society to fill a real need, just like Jesus would have done, right? Helped filling a real need. And it took about two weeks. I think I've told a little bit of the story here before. He wanted to, to, to throw away his Koran and his prayer mat. And we told him he was not allowed to. And uh, we said, this is part of your history. You've received this from your mama. So we put it in the basement. And he asked us if we didn't want it to convert him. And we told him, we don't want to convert you. We don't believe anyone should be converted. We believe Jesus transforms people. Isn't it? So uh, it took another six weeks, and we started reading the Bible together, and the Holy Spirit transformed him. And today, Reza is a tongue-speaking, Bible-reading church-goer that is baptized in water. Isn't that wonderful? And I want to thank my family right here today. I want to honor you, because especially you, baby, have been there with him all the time when I've been out traveling. Filling real needs. Taking care of that boy and helping that boy. You've parented him so much more than I have. And that is being a Jesus disciple. Filling real needs in society. Taking care of orphans. Taking care of widows. Isn't it? Taking care of people that, that, that needs to be taken care of. Number three. Jesus had this amazing way of Always meeting the basic human needs of people. I've touched this before when I've been with you. But when he meets with Nathanael, the text we read, he meets with three basic human needs immediately. He knows him, he sees him, and he talks about his future. He believes in him, isn't it? We could speak about three spiritual gifts. Discernment, word of knowledge, isn't it? And we could speak about prophecy. So Jesus is immediately, when he meets with someone, he makes that person, first of all, know that he's known. And isn't this what we all want to be? We want to be known. And we want to be seen, not just on the surface, but really seen. And we want someone to believe in us. Then if we could just focus in on that, people, and to win people, would not be a sculpt. Something that we carry around in our belt after we have... Are you here? We are here to, 
to know people and see people and believe in people. And Jesus did this supernaturally. He said, I know you. How can you know me well? Because I've seen you. Can you see it? And he speaks this word of knowledge. And he just surrenders. And then he says, and you will see greater things than this. And he believes in him. And I think that if we can do just like Jesus did. Know people. See people. And believe in people. My goodness. Will they come to Jesus? They will because they will see Jesus in us. And there's much to be said there. But um, I remember when I came to Christ. You know, I've been leading thousands and thousands of people to <laughs> Jesus. But you, you, you're always closest to your own testimony, isn't it? Doesn't matter if you preached for, for many years. I remember that the greatest thing was my pastor. We had this pastor. He was called Tobion. He married me and Maria. Turbjörn. Can't be more Swedish than that. That's our Viking name. Turbjörn. Turbjörn. And uh, <laughs> he knew me. He saw me. He believed in me. He was riding his car after me. And he said, jump into the car, Johannes. And I hit the hood of his car and I accosted him and said, leave me alone. And he rolled down his window and he rolled after me. And he said, jump into the car. And he knew me. He saw me. And he spoke to me. And I, I surrendered to Jesus together with him. Because I was loved by him. And he believed in me. He always said, you are an amazing evangelist. <laughs> I think I destroyed every service for him. I was out traveling with him and he said, now you take the second service. And I went up and I said the most stupid stuff. He had to go up and I still remember he said, he, he has just come to Jesus, people. He would always say, but isn't it wonderful? And then he wiped his tears away. I believe so much in that kid. And catched me and helped me. He believed in me. And when you start to know people, see people and believe in people, you will win them. Number four, making people curious. I love that type of, how do you say, mystique around the transformation power of the gospel. Sometimes I say this to people that ask me as a priest about stuff. I say, honestly, I don't think you're ready for this. I don't, I, don't, I don't think you can handle this. I mean, it's just, yeah. And then I walk away. <laughs> and that leaves them hanging. You know what I'm saying? Jesus did that. I mean, he, he did that. He honestly did that. He said to Nicodemus, you know, this guy who is, he's a scholar. He knows so much. He's asking Jesus. And Jesus says, well, you need to be born again. Unless you've been born by the... By the water and the spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus understands nada. <laughs> Nothing. It's just, uh, how, how? Well, Nicodemus, how? If you think honestly, you might not be ready for this. The mystery of the spirit's power and the spirit's work has an enormous draw on people. And many times when I speak with people, I, I leave them hanging for a while. And you should not be that quick all the time to, to shovel down answers, the throats. Are you getting what I'm saying? To, to give them what, is, what, you, 
what you think is the ultimate answer. Because the Holy Spirit will do things when you leave them hanging. The Holy Spirit can do much more than you would ever imagine if you would allow Him to be the Holy Spirit. So leave them hanging a little bit. Leave them curious for a while. And let it brew. You know, like a good Louisiana stew. You know, let it sit on the stove for a while. Are you getting what I'm saying here? Jesus did that. And we know Nicodemus became a disciple of Jesus. But we don't read here in the text that Jesus prayed a salvation prayer with him. He told him, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus could not understand it. But we know later on he became a disciple. He was a disciple. Number, number five, asking questions they can't answer. <laughs> Jesus did that. How many want to learn the Jesus way? He said, uh, he said uh, in, 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 in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 4, to this woman at the well. How many of you remember the story? The woman at the well, he, he said to her, hey, give me some water. Could you give me some water? And then he's, you know, this, this, this was totally inappropriate. Totally inappropriate. Will you give me a drink? Totally inappropriate for a rabbi to ask a woman, but not only a woman, also a Samaritan. And um, asking questions they can't answer. Mm -hmm. let, me, let me get into this. I went on a plane in Africa not so long ago. Told Philip about this. And, uh, it was not a big plane. It's a plane maybe you can see maybe 15 people. Have you been flying these planes? I shuffle my, my hand luggage up and I ask like this out in the blue but loud so that everyone can hear it. I wonder if the pilot is drunk today. And someone goes, does this airline have a rumor of pilot being drunk? Ah, well, you know, sometimes I don't know, but, you know, these Italians flying these planes here, I've seen them. I mean, they, well, let's just hope the pilot isn't drunk. And I got everyone's attention. How many of you get what I'm saying? Everyone's attention. Everyone's attention. Everyone looking like if they want to step out of the plane or stay in the plane and asking questions. Nobody can't answer, isn't it? And then I say, actually, some pilots, they make a much better job than me. I happen to be a priest. And everyone goes, well, what do you mean? By well, they fly airplane drunks and people pray like crazy and when I preach at times, they fall asleep. So they are doing better jobs. And everyone starts laughing, but they are still, you know, they are all gathering around me. So I say, why don't we pray a short prayer? And everyone goes like a Sunday school kid. You know? <laughs> and we pray a prayer. And I love that when I spend time with non-Christians, I sometimes ask questions that they can't answer themselves. So that I can, how do I say this? I create, um, I create a door, or I open up a door in them. Uh, for example, I'm, I would ask them like this: So, are you content with your life? Well, that's a brilliant question. Just, just, just let it hang there for a while. Yeah, they can answer very shallow first, you know, but 
really, I'd, I'd, I'd like to do something more with my life. Or, are you, are you uh, I mean, if you would die today, would you feel like, you know, I've really lived a full life? You throw out questions there. Jesus did that. And if you study Jesus, you will see he did that beautifully and wonderfully and spirit-led. And in that way, you create something in them that needs to be answered. And then you let the Holy Spirit lead you the rest of the way and start to fill in the blanks, helping them. When I started to do this, just asking questions, it's amazing. It's amazing also how, how people love to talk about themselves and how they are just pouring out if someone really asks them something and how you then can start to answer the questions they didn't know they had. Does this make sense? Jesus did that. Number six, challenging people with new thoughts. How many of you remember John's Gospel chapter 5 when Jesus comes to the guy at the, at the pool of Bethesda? And uh, he has been sitting there waiting for the miracle. I don't need to go through that with you guys, huh? you Bible readers, many of you, since you were six years old. But he was waiting for the angels to step down into the pool, right? And for that miracle. And he knew exactly how the miracle was going to happen. And have you met those people that they think they know everything about the faith that they don't have? <laughs> have you met them? Tell me here. Tell me here in America. <laughs> I'm an American. I'm a Christian. Come on, somebody. And ask, ask them, what kind of a Christian are you? You've heard me say that, right? I'm a non-practicing Catholic. Are you? Wow. Me too. Non-practicing Catholic. Wow. We got so much in common, you and me. All right. Challenging people with brand new thoughts. What is that? Well, sometimes you just, you just drop a thought where you're working. I worked as a, as a Swedish teacher for immigrants many years ago. And I was teaching them Swedish. They had just come to Sweden and, and there were all kinds of them. And I realized out of 17 students, 16 were Muslims and one was a Catholic. That was my class. So I just, I just dropped the brand new thought. I say, why don't we make a case study called Christianity in church? They wanted to learn about the new country they had ended up in. And historically, Sweden is a Christian nation. Even though it's one of the most post-Christian nations in Europe, it is a Christian nation. So I said, that would be an interesting thing for you. And we ended up because the teachers thought that was brilliant. Let these, you know, and the rest of the, you know, of the, of the faculty of that school, they, they thought this is, this, is, this is good. Let them study the historical culture they have come into. So we did that and it ended up with me taking them to a church because we needed to make a study. <laughs> and I took them to a very good church. And I told the pastor, now preach the gospel for God's sake. I'm a born again Christian. So he, pre I mean, when he showed him the baptism pool, 
he had a long sermon about Jesus' death and resurrection and how to become. Can you see this? And they talked about communion. And he went again about the power of the blood of Jesus. And I just stood behind and felt, this is good. This is awesome. Challenging people with a brand new thought. We've done that with the prison authorities in Sweden. You know, they can come and work. I took in a, maybe not everyone liked it, but I hired someone. It was, he was part of the Colombian drug cartels. But I hired him as my janitor. <laughs> and if, <laughs> just make sure you hire, I mean, yeah, the right people here. But a brand new thought. <laughs> And we have had a lot of our folks that have given jobs to people that have come straight out of prison. Can you imagine a Christian company giving jobs to people that otherwise wouldn't receive jobs? And if you challenge society and you challenge different, are you getting this now? Authorities with this brand new thought, we will give those that no one else wants to give a shot a shot. Because we can. Because we're Christians. Because we love. Isn't it? And people come to the Lord. We had one company owner in our church. He had 72 immigrants hired. One. <laughs> Crazy. 72. And most of them came to the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? 72 he took in. Kurt, we just have to, I mean, he's just, he's, he's the Iron Man. He just is. He's never done any Iron Man, but he is the Iron Man. Challenging people with a brand new thought. Okay. <clears throat> Number seven. Crazy love. Beyond judgment and condemnation. When people meet with a crazy kind of love that Jesus has, it changes everything. We love you anyhow. We love you. We love you. I love the fact that my senior executive, Pastor Walter, he has... Two drag queens now that comes to his house church. Someone say amen, quick. Just, without thinking, just say amen. Just quick, you know, before you think too much. <laughs> I love the fact that our senior executive pastor in Stockholm has such a crazy love that they feel that they can't miss one house church at Walter's place because they love to hear the word of God and they love to pray with Pastor Walter. That can't be real Christians. Well, people, they have not been transformed the way they are supposed to be transformed yet. But they are sitting there under the presence of the Holy Spirit. Isn't they are sitting there listening to the Jesus stories. And it's just... Uh, it's just a time factor we're talking about. Because we can tell you about another house church in, in another of our SOS churches that is packed with ex-man prostitutes and drag queens that have been transformed by Jesus. Crazy love. Love that goes beyond judgment. Love that goes beyond condemnation. Love that says, like Jesus said to the woman that was half-naked, that I've been dragged out of bed in the middle of the action. Neither do I condemn you. 
Now go live your life of sin. And because she looked into those eyes, she could not continue to sin. Crazy love. Wonderful love. Powerful love. The Jesus way. Number eight. Washing feet and serving. <clears throat> Everyone were afraid of terrorism. Everyone was afraid of these mass in immigration wave. You've heard about it, right? Coming on boats over the Mediterranean Sea, huh? drowning in the Mediterranean Sea, in Greece, in Italy, and that filling up South Europe, coming into Germany, into Sweden. Yeah, it's true. Sitting on our squares, being everywhere, living in our forest strips from Bulgaria and Romania. Yeah, we can tell you. But there is an enormous, enormous possibility and opportunity within such a thing. God is doing something. God is doing something, obviously. I don't know if you can see it, but He does. He is in control. Now this world is out of control. We need to do something. Well, God is probably already doing something. Because when I studied... Uh, at Bible college, the most unreached people groups in the world, they were in Afghanistan and Iran and Somalia. And now we got them by the millions in Europe. And only in our church last year, downtown Stockholm, we baptized 100 people. And I think 60, 65 of them were ex-Muslims from Afghanistan, from Iran. Are you getting what I'm saying? Washing feet, serving. Jesus did that, and I think we need to do that. We started a ministry called the SOS Refugee Care. I know you were part of, of contributing to one of our Christmas banquets here from uh, North Point, and thank you for that. That Christmas banquet, we led 27 Muslims to Jesus. And uh, why... Why are they open to the gospel? Because we teach them Swedish. Because we come and do activities with them and teach them how to apply for a job. Teach them how to, you know, do this. And we, we teach them Swedish cultural classes. We are there every week serving them, washing their feet. Muslim or not a Muslim, who cares? We're washing feet. We're serving, right? Helping. And when we do that, washing feet, serving... We have received an enormous favor. The refugee authorities would not allow any other church to do this. But in the end, we had services every week at the biggest refugee camp that we have in Stockholm. The only church, because we had been serving them for so long. So they say they got the right motives. They are the real deal. Let them have a room right here in the refugee camp. Where they can run their services. And we started putting up Bible classes and services right there. Number nine. The Jesus way. Loving on doubters. Well, someone said to me. I'm a Thomas. That's who I am. And I said, that's wonderful. If you are a Thomas, everything's possible. He was the one that went the longest with the gospel. 
and ready to give his life for Jesus. And Jesus said, come here on my hands. Touch them. Come here is my side, Thomas. Stop doubting and believe. When you love on a doubter, I always said it's better to be a doubter than a non-believer, isn't it? Because if you're doubting, you're one step ahead. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it's actually very powerful when you start to think about it. Someone that says, no, I'm an atheist, I'm a non-believer, I don't believe at all. That's a little harder than someone that says, I'm, I'm a doubter. I'm a Thomas. Well, we can work with that. We can work with that. We just need to give you some proofs. Let's load them up in a Boeing, isn't it? And fly them to a festival. Actually, I had a, a woman in our church called Kiki who had been part of, of, our, of our church for many years and her husband was not a Christian. She asked one time, do you think my husband could come along on one of our missions trips and, you know, just, just help out maybe in the practical things with building stage? And, you know, he's, he's really a doubter. And she didn't mean that positive. I said, we can build on that. If he's a doubter, that's awesome, actually, because then we will say, like Jesus said to Thomas, what do you think happened? Long lines of people. I was blind. Now I can see. I was deaf. I hear. My child was mute. She speaks. Then demons coming out. I mean, if, if you don't believe Anything you will believe when people start foaming at their mouths, rattling on the ground like snakes, being carried out. What is going on? <laughs> Asking questions and questions and questions. And it didn't take long after he had been with us when I got the chance to lead him to Jesus. Because he had seen the proofs. He had touched the nail marks. He had touched the side. Because Jesus loves on doubt. He loves someone that doubts so much that he's ready to come only for that one. Go right through a wall in front of all the believers and say, here are my hands. I died only for you. Here is my side only for you. That's how much I love you. Isn't it? Jesus is ready to go through walls today as we sit here. I choke up because I feel something. He's coming through the walls to a brother of yours. Oh, I'm prophesying now. He's coming through the walls of someone in prison right now. He's coming through the walls because he loves doubters. Number 10, taking time. Just taking time. Think about it. They had been walking with Jesus for three and a half years. They had seen everything. And then they backslid. Right? They went out fishing. They gave up. And Jesus goes after them. And he prepares a breakfast at the lakeside. That breakfast is one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. I've read it so many times and I've cried. How beautiful this is. Jesus waits for big mouthed Peter who promised him heaven and earth. Huh? If everyone else run away, I will never run away. And then he betrays, backstabs, 
rags out. And here Jesus waits. Prepared fish. I believe a hot cup of Scandinavian coffee. Sitting at the campfire. Inviting Peter for a breakfast. And just takes time with him. Sometimes you just need to take time. You need to take a little time out of your busy schedule. What does it take? I asked the Holy Spirit once. What does it take for me to lead that someone to you? <laughs> and this story came to me. A little time. Just a little time. So I went and I visited Andreas in Sätra in Stockholm three times. That's all that it took. Three times. And I baptized him. And he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he had his life changed. Just take a little time. Just sit down with him. Have a cup of coffee. Share. Be there. We could continue so long. But I will do like Jesus did. I will leave you hanging until tomorrow. <laughs> Let's stand up on our feet. Okay? Stand up on our feet. May you all become soul winners. May you all become people filled with that love of Jesus. Let's lift up our hands in front of Jesus. Can we do that? Let's pray that we all will be full of the love of Jesus Christ and win people the way Jesus was winning people. Can we do that right now? Lift up your hands and say, Jesus. Whisper to Jesus right now. Lift up your hands. Whisper to Jesus. The Great Commission is what we have been given. All of us together. If we are carpenters, nurses, plumbers, engineers, whatever we are. The Great Commission is what we've been given. All of, all of us. And I know each and every one of you will become a great, great soul winner. You will be a great disciple maker. Because what I've just taught you about, all of you can do. It's not hard. Asking questions, serving, washing feet, loving people. It's not hard. But we can do it. Father, right now, I'm asking for your Holy Spirit to invade North Point. Touch these leaders here. And next year when I'm back or a year after that, I will meet so many new disciples. I will meet brand new disciples that have been led to Jesus, been transformed by Jesus. I feel it. I feel the power of the Holy Spirit is all over. If you feel like you want to commit yourself again to the Great Commission, you want to say, Jesus, let me make one disciple. Jesus, let me win one for you. Jesus, let me win one for you the way you did it. Let me know people, see people. Let me believe in people. Let me do it the way you do. Just come out. Come to the front and bow your knees and say, one disciple. Jesus, one disciple. Bow your knees. Just say, Jesus, one. Just make that fresh commitment. Just bow your knees. You can do it in the aisles. You can do it everywhere here. Bow your knees and say, Jesus, one disciple. Give me one disciple. Pray to him right now. Talk to Jesus right now. Say, Jesus, let me lead one to you. Let me touch one person's life. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, work through me. Holy Spirit, work through me. power of the Holy Spirit is your role is Philip's role lead him to Jesus
Father, I pray that all these people that are on their knees in front of you, they will feel real needs. Hallelujah. They will make the society curious. Hallelujah. They will take that time that no one else takes. Stretch out your hands to Jesus. Wherever you are, stretch out your hands to Jesus. And say with me, like I'm praying tonight, one more disciple. Jesus, let me lead one more to you. Jesus, that's all I want. Give me one more soul. Give me one more that you can transform. Let me lead someone into your crazy love. Let me lead someone into your atmosphere. Jesus, we want to follow your practical example. You did it so well. You did it so well. We want to follow your example. You knew, you saw, you believed in. You made curious, you asked questions, you were challenging with new thoughts. Father, we want to be like Jesus. We want to challenge people. We want to love people. We want to wash and serve. Father, let us wash feet right here in Bosher, in Shreveport. Let us wash feet right here in northern Louisiana, Father, we pray. Let us love on doubters. Let us love on people that have been ticked off by narrow-minded and judgmental Christians. Father, let us love on people that have given up on, on church as an institution or as an organization. Father, let them not give up on your Son, Jesus Christ. Your Son, Jesus Christ, is perfect. Father, let us love on doubters. Father, let us take that time. Yeah. Now lift up your hands to Jesus everywhere. Lift up your hands and say, one more disciple. One disciple. I want to make one disciple. Make a holy decision here right now. August the 19th, 2017. One disciple. Within the next year. When I reach the end of the summer of 2018, I want one disciple. One disciple. Let me make one disciple. Jesus, let me lead someone to you. And let me see you transform one disciple. Radani Besheko Santo. Shmet Palana Lamachi Alamambarabachi Lamabachako Sostoro. Hitchhikers will come to Jesus. Oh, people you meet that are so lonely, people you will visit that are so lonely will come to you. People that are crying out with desperate needs. I thank you, Father. Thank you for the love. Thank you for the love that is flowing through this building.
just to begin, I just want you to close your eyes right now, everyone all the way across this place. Just close your eyes for a moment. Come on, I want you to begin to visualize it happening. Come on, I want you, I want, I want you to begin to see yourself loving on that person. See yourself washing their feet and serving them. Come on, I want you to see yourself asking them questions that they cannot answer. Come on, I want you, I want you to see yourself right now, knowing them, seeing them, believing in them. Come on, I want you to see it. I want you to see it. See it happening. See it happening. See the conversation happen. See the serving happening. See the sacrifice happening. See it happening. Come on, I want you to see now. I want you to see that journey taking place. I want you to see yourself taking time. Not trying to rush to the end, but taking time. And I want you to see in your mind's eye, I want you to see that moment, that moment when you're able to take them by the hand, that moment that you're able to kneel with them, that, that moment that you're standing in a parking lot, that, that moment where you're sitting at their kitchen table, that moment where they finally come to church with you and they lift that hand into the air, that moment that they engage you and they say, I, I'm ready to surrender everything to Jesus. Come on, I want you to see it happening in your mind's eye, the entire journey, see it happening right now. I want you to see them surrendering to Jesus. I want you to see their sins being cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. I want you to see the, the resurrection power coming into their life. Come on, I want you to begin to see the, the chains of bondage being broken off of their life. I want you to see freedom coming into every area of their life. I want you to begin to see relationships being restored in their life because Jesus is coming in to take over. I want you to see it right now in your minds. I want you to see the journey. I want you to see the conversation. I want you to see the sacrifice. I want you to see it all, and I want you to see it coming to this glorious end. I'm saying, yes, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the answer to my pain. He is the only one who can save me. There is no other purpose outside of him. There's no love like his love, no joy like his joy. He is the only one for me. Come on, I want you to see it happening. See it happening right now. See it happening. See it happening. One more disciple. Come on, see it happening. Now I want you to take it a step further right now in your mind's eyes. Your eyes are closed. Come on, I want you to see it taking one step forward. Not just they're going to begin to meet Jesus. I want you to see transformation beginning to take place now. Come on, I want you to see real discipleship beginning to take roots. Come on, I want you to begin to see as you begin to pour into them, as you begin to teach them the ways of Jesus, as, as you begin to walk them through this journey of walking with Jesus, I, I want you to begin to see it all taking place right now, transformation coming into the I want you to begin to see them forgiving people that have 
done them wrong or they're harboring it now, but I want you to see them as you begin to journey with them in discipleship. They're going to begin to forgive. And when they begin to forgive, a new level of freedom is going to come into their life. I want you to see it today. I want you to see it today. Not only are they going to meet Jesus, I want you to see it. They're going to walk with Jesus. One more disciple. One more disciple. One more disciple. Come on, can we stand to our feet right now? Come on, I just, I just want us to worship for a moment before we leave. I believe this is a holy moment. I believe this is a holy moment, and I want us to give God some praise and glory as we just take a moment right now. Come on, let's just lift up our voices. Let's lift up our hearts. Let's lift up our heads. Let's lift up our hands and come on, let's worship. And we'll never stop. Come on, lift your we voice. Live without you, Jesus. Come on, let's lift up the name of Jesus.
to challenge you tonight. Everybody that, that, that came to the front for sure, everybody in the house, I want to, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to, to read the book of John this week. There's 21 chapters in the book of John. That'll be three chapters a day. You can start tomorrow and you can be finished next Saturday. And you can walk through all of these things that Pastor Johannes just taught us about and you can read them for yourselves. You can see the truth in the story. You can see it happen. You can see these one-on-one -on -one encounters. You can see all 10 principles. You can read about them this week. This week, three chapters a day. It'll take you about 10 to 12 minutes. 10 to 12 minutes of your day, three chapters in the book of John, and by the end of the week, you can have read the entire book and you can read, you can read about what he talked about. You know what I loved as he shared? Not one point was theologian. Not one point was a, a perfect life. Not, not, not one point was anything that we cannot attain. Not one point was you have to be an extrovert. None of that. That was, that was not included in the 10 points. Doesn't matter if you're an introvert, extra, extrovert, you can love on people. It doesn't matter what your personality profile is, what your Myers-Briggs, INTJ, ESTJ, it doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what it is. You can take time. You can ask questions. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All of those things are attainable for every one of us. You don't have to be a preacher, you don't have to be a missionary. You, you, you don't have to be in full-time ministry. You don't have to sing on the praise and worship team. You, you, you just have to follow Jesus. And once you commit your life to Jesus, you can live out every single thing that he talked about today. And so I want to challenge you. Read the book of John this week, three chapters a day. And let's, let's learn how do we become what God created us to be. Evangelists, people who are willing to, through one-on-one -on -one conversation and relationship to win the whole world. The Jesus way, amen. The Jesus way. How many of you say, I'll, I'll commit, I'll read the book of John this week. Come on, 10, 10 to 12 minutes a day. Come on, let's make that commitment together. Let's do that together. Come on, how powerful is it when we all begin to read the book of John together? And we see these one-on-one -on -one things happening. And we begin to put these 10 principles into practice uh, on a daily basis. Come on, we're, we're going to see people come to Jesus. Amen? Amen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Amen. Amen.